Good morning. Um, uh, for those of you that are new here, my name is Dan, and I'm one of the pastors at BC. Um, and you kind of join us on a week where we're, we're in the middle of the book of Acts. We're, we're a few chapters in now. Um, last week, Dan Ware did a great job of taking us through Acts chapter 3, where we saw uh, Peter and John heal a man, and then they preach the gospel to, to him and to the crowds. Um, today, we kind of get part two of that story. Next week, we'll get part three. Today, we get the response of the Jewish religious leaders to what Peter and John did. Next week, we'll see how the church responds to what they've done. And kind of as we're going through Acts, you're going you're gonna to experience this a lot where there'll be like three sermons on one story because these, some of these passages are just really long and trying to figure out where to break them up. And so we just decided that instead of having, you know, one really long sermon, we'd have three like slightly long sermons because we, we just figured that's, that's what you would want us to do. Um, and so today we're in Acts 4 and um, what Luke shows us in this passage is he, he draws us closer to Jesus. Jesus as healer, Jesus as savior, and Jesus is the one who keeps his promises. That's what we're going to see as we walk through this passage. And uh, my lovely wife, Jen Bourne, is going to come read the passage for us this morning. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John and, because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened for the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. 
Thank you. Um, so, chapter 3 ends with, with Peter still talking. So he's like, he's still preaching this sermon. The Jewish religious leaders show up and interrupt his sermon. Um, and Luke, uh, Luke tells us that they, they sought him out. Why, why did they seek them out? Why, why did they come and find Peter and John as, as, as Peter is preaching this sermon? And Luke says, it's because they were greatly annoyed. They were greatly annoyed, he says, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And so the Sadducees, this, this kind of sect, this group of, of Jews, were, were not on team resurrection. They were on team no resurrection. And so they're, they're greatly annoyed because Peter and John are, are talking about the resurrection, specifically that Jesus had been risen from the dead. Um, and you know, I, I really want to know how these Sadducees would explain uh, a list of things. And so, for example, there's the widow of Zarephath who rose from the dead in 1 Kings 17. There's the Shunammite woman's son in 2 Kings 4 who raises from the dead. Uh, there's a guy who's raised out of uh, Elisha's grave in 2 Kings 13. Or Jesus who rose the widow's son in Luke 7. Or Jesus who rose Jairus' daughter in Luke 8. Or Jesus who, like the kids are going to find out today in Kids Connect, rose Lazarus in John 11? Or what about all the people that came out of their tombs at the crucifixion that Matthew tells us about in the end of his gospel? Or what about all the people that Jesus appeared to after he was raised from the dead? Paul says in 1 Corinthians that he appeared to more than 500 people at one time, most of whom were still alive and could be interviewed and asked about it at the time uh, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. I would imagine that all of this evidence of the reality of resurrection was greatly annoying to the Sadducees. So they're upset because, you know, somebody had the audacity to teach something that didn't line up with their system of beliefs, with, with what they thought, with kind of the, the, the thing that they put over people to maintain their power of religion over them. And so they're upset. They come to arrest Peter and John, and uh, it's, it's the end of the day, and, you know, nobody likes to have meetings at the end of the day, and so they just throw them in jail until they can deal with them the next day. So the next day, they're going to deal with him. But before we get there, look at what he, what he says in verse 4. He says, but many, so the Sadducees reacted poorly, but many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. So some people were greatly annoyed with Peter and John, but some people were greatly given grace to believe the gospel that they preached. And Luke says, now the church has grown. It's not that 5,000 people responded to the Peter's second sermon. That would be pretty awesome, right? His first sermon, 3,000 people responded. His second one, 5,000 responded. But he's saying here that the number grew to 5,000. So there were those 3,000. And sometime uh, between Acts 2 and Acts 4, there are more and more people, probably this man who is healed, are added to the church. They're responding in faith as the gospel goes forth, as Jesus' people are being his witnesses. And so... He says, many who heard the word believed. Now, just kind of in your Bibles, glance back up at verses 17 through 26 of Peter's speech. There, there's, a, there's a lot of words there, right? Luke says, many who believe the word, word singular, but Peter talked for a while. He used a plurality of words, but here he's saying that they believe the word singular. And I think that this should be encouraging to us as we think about sharing the gospel with people. 
Because I don't know about you, but often I think we get really concerned and stressed and anxious about the particular words that we use, right? Like we, we might not have the right thing to say. We might not have the right words. In fact, nearly every Sunday, no matter how many times I do this, there's a moment, usually when I'm walking from back there to up here, where I think I've forgotten everything. <laughs> I don't remember anything that's in my notes. What, what, what's even the passage that I'm supposed to talk about? <laughs> and when we share the gospel with people, we have a tendency to do that kind of thing too, where we think, man, I, I just, I've, I've got to be able to have it exactly right, or it's just going to be a train wreck. It's going to go poorly. But I think Luke, in, in his word choice here, is intentional. It's not about the words. It's about the word. Right? It's not about whether or not we're good or bad communicators or whether we have the best words. We have the best message to share. That's what matters. That's what needs to come across. And so we shouldn't get bogged down and fearful and anxious and stressed about whether or not we can say the right thing in the right way. Right? We have the best news. We have the news that Jesus came and lived the life we couldn't live. He died in our place. He rose again, announcing his victory over sin, death, and Satan. And right now, right now, he's alive, interceding and mediating and advocating on our behalf before his Father. We have that. And we can share that with people, whether or not we know all the right words to use. Now, I'm not saying the words don't matter, right? If I stand up here and like just talk in gibberish for the next 30 minutes, it doesn't matter how much I want you to hear about Jesus, it's probably not going to come across. But what's more important is the message. And so I don't think we should, we should get so frustrated and worried and stressed. We should just talk about this Jesus that we know and love with people. And the good news is going to come across. Now, we're going to receive further encouragement in this regard in the passage as we move through and see that Jesus sends his spirit to empower us to be his witnesses. It's not all on us. His spirit is going to work and move, and that is why people respond to Peter's message. Not because he used the right words, not because he had clever turns of phrase, but because the spirit worked through Peter and worked in the hearts and minds of the people he was speaking to. But for now, they got to deal with these greatly annoyed people first. So Luke tells us that on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with, you know, the high priest and all of his high priestly friends, uh, and they sat them in their midst and began to inquire of them. This is, this is the Sanhedrin. It's the, the Jewish religious court. They're, they're brought in before this council, and there's kind of these, these three groups. There's the elders. Those are kind of like the, the lay elders of the people. They were mostly Sadducees. And then there's the scribes. They were the experts in the law. These guys were mostly Pharisees. And then there's the priests who were kind of a mix of both, but at this time, maybe a little more Sadducee leaning. And there's this, this quote from the scholar who says this. He says, it's interesting that although the Pharisees were the group most opposed to Jesus during his ministry, in Acts, they are almost friendly to the church. While the Sadducees, who do not figure in the Gospels until the last days of Jesus, have become the leaders of the opposition. The reason why this matters is because it's showing us that a shift has taken place. 
They, they have new opponents because the message has, has changed a bit, right? When Jesus was alive, he wasn't talking about his resurrection as much. Now that he has risen from the dead, that becomes a central, crucial aspect of the church's uh, message and their ministry and their lives. They are talking about the reality of Jesus' resurrection all the time because it is what they're living out of. And that's why the Sadducees become so opposed of them. And so for us, as followers of Jesus, we need to remind ourselves that we don't trust in a, in a position of power or a, a system of beliefs or some theological concept or ideological principles. We trust in a person, a person who is alive. Right? That is what our faith is in. It's not in just some idea. It's not in theology. It's in Jesus who is risen. That is why the Sadducees were so opposed to the early church, because they preached the resurrection. They lived resurrection. So when they are drawn before them, Peter and John, their question about this man they healed. They say, by what power or by what name did you do this? And Peter's going to respond. He's going to say, filled by the Holy Spirit, he said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected, which has come, become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So as we saw last week, this man is, is healed by the name of Jesus. By the one who was crucified and has risen again, that is where the power comes from to heal him. It's not that, that Peter has this ability in and of himself. It's not that John has this ability in and of himself. It's because Jesus works through them to heal this man. And that's the first thing we need to see today in this passage, that Jesus is a healer, right? He heals. And what's particularly interesting about this passage is that the word, right, the end of verse 9, uh, by what means this man has been healed, it's the same word that's translated as saved at the end of verse 12. Sometimes it's talking about us being saved from, from sickness and death. And sometimes it's talking about us being saved from sin and death. The point is that Jesus saves. Sometimes he saves from sickness, and praise God, he also saves from sin and death. But first, let's talk about the healing. At the point here, when he says that Jesus is the one who heals this guy, is that we need to see, we need to believe, we need to understand as his people that Jesus does and can heal. Right? It happens. It happens in this passage. It happens throughout the Gospels. And it has happened uh, in, in our lives, whether we realize it or not. Right? Uh, he doesn't always save from sickness, but sometimes he does. He does save us from illness. So on a small scale, right, we know that the world is broken. We know that our bodies are broken. And we get things like, like colds or sinus infections or like horrendous stomach bugs. Right? We get these things. And sometimes Jesus takes them away. And sometimes he doesn't. On, on the big scale, right, sometimes we get sick with more serious things like, like heart disease or lung disease or, or stroke or, you know, right now, COVID for some people, right? There are sicknesses that, that lead to death in our lives and sicknesses that don't. 
And sometimes Jesus miraculously intervenes and you hear about someone getting healed from COVID or from, from heart disease or from a stroke or for something like that. And we even see this in the passage. Sometimes he heals, sometimes he doesn't. This man, uh, Jen at the very end read, right? He's, he's more than 40 years old. This means that this guy was alive when Jesus was on the earth. It wasn't, wasn't much long before this. And Luke told us in Dan's passage last week that he was, he was laid at the beautiful gate every day. He was there. Jesus went in and out of the temple many, many times during his life. He likely would have been at the temple when this guy was at the temple and laid at the gate. And Jesus didn't heal him. Then he healed him now in Acts. Right, so there are times where like, I think that we have this picture of Jesus in the gospel of just kind of like willy-nilly walking around. Like he didn't do anything willy-nilly, but walking around just like healing everybody all the time. And there are passages where that happens, right? Where people are like, that we get this picture of people just like lined out, up outside uh, Peter's mother-in-law house just waiting to be healed. And so there are times where it's like that. But for the case of this man, it wasn't like that. He's healed later by Peter. So the question that we have to ask ourselves when we think about Jesus healing is, is what do we do when he doesn't? So I think the first thing we do is we remember who he is. Because it's in moments like that where it's really easy for us to forget. He is God. He is good. He is able to save to the uttermost from sickness and from sin and death. And we need to remember that uh, even when, especially when we're struggling to understand how that's true in the midst of our circumstances. Jesus didn't heal this man when he was on the earth, but he did go to the cross. He went to purchase this man's pardon and ours. He lived a perfect life of obedience to his father. He died the death he died. He rose again, victory, announcing his, his uh, victory over sin and death and Satan. He went to save this guy from the worst thing. And he went to purchase a world in which there's no more pain. There's no more suffering. There's no more sickness. There's no more sorrow. There's no more tears. He went to make all loss, all illness, all death go away. We need to remember that Jesus saves. He doesn't always save from sickness. But he always, for those who ask, for those who put their faith in him, he always saves from sin and death. And for those of us who are, who are Christians, for those of us who are put our faith in him, death is a healing. It doesn't feel like that for loved ones left behind from loss. But it is for them. There's, there's, There's no more sickness for them. There's no more illness for them. There's no more pain. There's no more sorrow. There's no more stress. There's no more anxiety. There's no more brokenness. Instead, they are full of grace, full of health, full of life, full of joy, full of Jesus right? They get what's better. So Jesus does heal. He just doesn't always heal when we want him to or how we want him to. But that doesn't mean that that's not who he is. And so 
This passage tells us that Jesus heals and we need to be people who who boldly and confidently ask him to do it. And when he doesn't, if he doesn't, we remember who he is. We remember that he is healing all things. He is making things that are broken whole everywhere once for all. So let's be people that ask him to heal and also people that trust him if he doesn't do it in the way we want him to. But more important than Jesus saving from sickness is the fact that Peter says that he saves from sin and death. Right? Healing, healing is great, but salvation is better. Peter says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This tells us, this teaches, that salvation is exclusive. The gospel is exclusive. Jesus is exclusive. Not all roads lead to God. Not all religions lead to heaven. No matter how much we want that to be true, it just doesn't fit with what the Bible says about salvation and God and Jesus. Now, at first glance, right, this, this feels like, it seems like bad news. Right? We want Jesus to welcome everyone, and he does. But he welcomes them to himself, not to something else or someone else. See, the reality is that God made this world and everything in it. He made us. And humanity responded by rebelling against him, by rejecting his rule, by saying they wanted his place for themselves. And because of humanity's sin, corruption and brokenness and sickness and sin and death entered into the world. That's the bad news, right? We we broke the world. We took what God said was very good and corrupted it with our own selfishness and pride. And for those of us who are apart from God, we are, Paul says, without God and without hope in the world. That's the bad news. And when we remember that that's the bad news, this doesn't feel like bad news anymore. This is great news. There is a Savior. Right? There's only one, but thanks be to God, there's one. And when we come to know Jesus, it's even better news. Right? Because we don't serve, we don't follow a God who is, who is indifferent to us. We follow a God who, who loves us, who's, who's gentle and lowly, as we've all been reading about, who, who wants us to be in his presence, who draws us closer, who welcomes us in, us who are broken and flawed and imperfect and sinful and, and mess up and fail all the time. He still wants us. Right? There's only one way of salvation, but there is a way of salvation. And thanks be to God, it's through Jesus. Right? That is good news. Acts 4.12 is amazing news in light of the bad news of this world. Jesus heals, yes. But more than that, he saves. In the rest of the passage, this kind of second chunk at the end, we see that Jesus keeps his promises. So here... 
after kind of Peter's speech, Luke tells us, kind of, kind of fills in what's, what's happening among the Sanhedrin. They, they recognize that these guys are, are common, uneducated men. They recognize they've been with Jesus. Um, but, but, you know, the guy that's healed is there. And so they can't really debate whether or not this person was healed. And then so they just say like, well, you know, go out and just don't talk about Jesus anymore. And Peter and John are like, no. And so they're like, well, then just go. And there's a couple key things we need to see here. The first is in verses 13 and 14. When it says that they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So these kind of, kind of snooty pants, elite priests, these guys come in, they're, they're fishermen. You know, they, 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 they don't talk in the best way. They don't use good words. They don't use big words. Um, but they speak with boldness. They speak with power. They're not using all the right words, but they're saying things with an authority that these guys who are common men shouldn't have. It says it, they recognized they had been with Jesus. I, I vividly remember a point in my life where I, I heard teaching on this passage and, and a whole lot was made out of this line, they were with Jesus. And I don't remember if the person teaching said this or this is where my, you know, pride broken brain went. But like, I took it to mean, well, if I can just read my Bible enough, if I can just pray enough, if I can just be with Jesus enough, then I'll win all the arguments. (laughs) Then people will be astonished at me. Yeah, which is gross. But that's not the moral of this story, right? The application for us is not to like read our Bibles and pray, though, though do those things, right? We, we meet Jesus. Jesus draws us closer through his word, through prayer. And so we should do those things. We should be with Jesus. That's one of the greatest privileges we have as his people. But the application for us is not to, to see that and do that. Instead, it's the opposite, Right? Peter is doing what he's doing. He's speaking with authority, not because he spent his time well as a disciple, right? We've read the Gospels. That didn't happen. Instead, listen to what Jesus tells them in Luke 12. He says, And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Jesus kept his promise to Peter and John. That's what's happening in this passage. Peter didn't like craft a good speech. He didn't think about it ahead of time and come up with the right words to say. He walks into this room unprepared. Peter, ready to just open his mouth and start talking. And thank God the spirit filled him and what came out was good. That's what's happening. It's, it's, It's not about having the best words. It's about serving the best God who empowers us to be his witnesses, even if we're common, uneducated fishermen. It's not about who we are. It's not about our education. It's not about our intellect. It's not about our abilities. It's about the fact that Jesus empowers us with his spirit to be his witnesses. That is what we're called to do. And so the application for us isn't to like 
press into Jesus through Bible and prayer. Instead, it's to fall more in love with Jesus who keeps his promises to us, even though we don't deserve it. We get to walk in the good works that he has prepared beforehand. Peter didn't prepare for this. Jesus did. In the same way, we have no idea about what we're going to face when we go out of here this week. And no matter how hard we prepare, we can't do it in our own power. But Jesus has gone before us. Right? He's prepared good works for us to walk in. The only thing we have to do is follow him by faith. The second thing we see here is that they tell them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And they can't do this. Right? And Peter's already explained why in this passage. There's, there's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. If they don't talk about Jesus, they're not telling people about the one way of salvation. Anything else, anything less is them preaching a false gospel with false hope. So they can't agree to this. So they go out and we're going to see how the the church responds next week. But today in this passage, Luke reminds us that, that Jesus heals, Jesus saves, and that Jesus keeps his promises. And so in the midst of a broken world that's struggling its way through a pandemic, let's be people who remember that Jesus heals. Let's ask him to, and if he doesn't, Remember who he is. But let's ask in boldness and faith, knowing that Jesus does heal. In a world full of of false saviors and, and false hopes and false gospels, let's be people who preach the one true way of salvation. Right? Not so that people can look at us and think they've got it all together, but so that we can show them that we don't have it all together. We don't have the best words. But we do have the best news that Jesus saves despite who we are. And in the midst of a a broken world full of of lies and broken promises, let us be people who point to the one who always keeps his promises. All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. And as his people, we get to lay hold of them and tell other people about the good news of this Savior who keeps his word. Let's go out empowered by the Spirit, not by ourselves, but by the Spirit to walk in the good works that Jesus has prepared for us. Let's be witnesses to this great God who empowers us even though we are common, uneducated people. And maybe you're thinking, well, I am educated. But spiritually, when it comes to the gospel, we we don't have it together. We don't have it down. We don't understand all there is to understand. We are uneducated. We are common. Jesus is the one who knows. But thankfully, he sends his spirit to empower us so that we can speak his truth with boldness that puts people off. Not because we're jerks, because we speak with an authority that we should not have as broken, sinful people. Because Jesus empowers us to be his witnesses. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you you heal. You fix 
what is broken. And we have broken so many things and are broken in so many ways. And so we need a Savior who fixes what is broken. And so we pray that we would we would press in as your people to that aspect of who you are, that we would ask you to heal, that we would have faith that you, you still work in these ways. And that even when you don't heal in the way that we'd like or in the timing that we'd like, that we would remember that you are fixing everything. That one day there will be no more sickness. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more pain. There will be no more tears. There will be no more brokenness. Everything, everyone, all of us will be made whole. Jesus, we thank you that you save, not just from sickness, but from sin and death and Satan. You save us from ourselves. So we pray that you would help us to remember that our, our only hope for salvation is in you. We can't rely on, we can't trust in false hopes or false gospels or false Messiah because there is only one and it's you. And so draw us closer. Thank you that you keep your promises <laughs> despite the ridiculous number of promises we have broken to you, you always keep your promises to us. I pray that you would help us to walk by faith, by grace through faith, that you prepare the good works before us beforehand, that, that, that we don't have to have the right words to be your witnesses because we have your spirit. So we pray this week, as we go out from this place together, that, that you would continue to, to welcome us in, to draw us closer in relationship to you, that as our healer and savior, as the one who always speaks the truth, we would fall more and more in love with you as our God. Jesus, we thank you that you are alive and that we get to have a relationship with you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.